Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, 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 how's it going? I haven't seen y'all since the last decade. I know. That's a bad joke, but I'm going to say it anyway. It is January 7th, and it's time for another bit of the best of Nerdificent. We'll be back next week, but for right now, why don't you listen to these hits? Yeah, so we are talking about the Bechdel test. Why did y'all decide that you wanted to make a podcast about this? Uh, Caitlin? Well, I suppose it was my idea, brag, (laughs) but basically I am a huge film buff to the extent that I uh, stupidly got two different degrees in film and spent, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on an education in film. And uh, yeah, I mean, movies are life for me. (laughs) Um, Honestly, (laughs) crazy. I mean, brave, really. Really brave brave. of you. Yeah, everyone started hashtagging that. (laughs) Caitlin Brave. Um, (laughs) So I love movies and I wanted to talk about them and kind of reconcile the fact that a lot of my favorite movies treat women horribly uh, or at least the movies that I grew up with and just had become accustomed to yeah, watching what were a lot. some of those that you discovered like oh crap I love I this mean, awful film God. not awful but like didn't respect Did not didn't represent. have good representation of women yeah right um the big three were like for me it was like the like trilogies of back to the future indiana jones and star wars like those were like the crux of my childhood movie development uh and then just any i mean most movies since and before those yeah also not great to women so i just i wanted to kind of examine these movies more closely just any movie that has had like a big cultural impact and uh you know, take a look at them and, and figure out, you know, maybe how much media is responsible for the patriarchy still being a thing. Um, and so, yeah, we just uh, I, I asked Jamie if she wanted to collaborate with me on this idea and she was very down. And uh, two and a half years later, here we are. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Two and a half years. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about the same as Krillin it and eventually Nerdificent. It was like, hey, you want to do this? I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I had seen, like, I have not seen a lot of, well, now I have. Yeah. When the podcast started, I had not seen, like, most of, I had also technically gone to film school. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Technically. <laughs> technically, I went, but I have majored in radio, so... I ha- also had a useless degree. A booming degree. medium. Even more. <laughs> I mean, now you're are, doing podcasts. I, mean, I heard radio. radio. <laughs> worth it. Thousands in debt. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I, I hadn't seen most of the movies that uh, we covered. And so it was like an uh, in real time education. But I think it helps to get those two different perspectives from like me who like, is apologetic to a lot of these movies and then you're like oh i'm just seeing them for the first time and wow they're not good yeah (laughs) 
That makes sense. Yeah, because you're watching them with like an air of nostalgia to for them. sure. Yeah. So for people that don't know, what is the Bechdel test? Oh, this is our favorite thing to explain to <laughs> the Bechdel test. Uh, we can get into the history of it, but just like the the, the short version yeah. and the way that we use it, because there's a few different like permutations of it. But it's a test that is applied to media, usually movies and TV, in which uh, a, a movie that passes the Bechdel test has a scene with two female identifying characters who have names who talk to each other about something other than a man for at least two lines of dialogue. That's our version. That's our version. There's a bunch of different versions. There's simpler ones. There's more demanding ones. But that's the one we use. Okay. Yeah. And it originally started from uh, Alison Bechdel. Yes. Right, who wrote in a comic strip that was Dykes to watch out for the that f- appeared in 1985, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll have a link to the actual comic so y'all can see it. But it was essentially two women that were trying to go see a movie, <laughs> and had that same thing where they were saying, "I only go to see a movie if it satisfies three basic requirements: one, it has to have at least two women in it who talk to each other and about something other than a man, mm-hmm. and then it ends with saying, "The last movie I saw was Alien." Yes. That was like that. <laughs> Which is funny because that movie barely passes the Bechdel it test. It is so bad. Is I mean, it because they're just... talking about the alien? I think so, yeah. Or like Protocol on the Ship or something like that. monster. As with every like major sci-fi movie, there is a vaginal monster because oh, yes. vaginas are scary. Monsters and scary. <laughs> but it gets even more insulting when you see like how often people pluck from black Twitter memes and pluck from the things that we're saying and use it in their BS and then uh and then still have the gall to not want to hire black people for some bs bar that we can't reach because even then ivy lee have a hard time letting in black people and i and when i say black people i mean black people africans get in higher on average just so they can say they're letting in black people but they're letting in africans and there goes a whole nother baggage that i can un- but anyway <laughs> to reel it all in that is that I don't barely scratch the surface of the baggage, but that's what is up against all of people of color and women. And that type of stuff isn't carried. And that's generally what people talk about, just in case someone needs to hear this, when they mean privilege. That doesn't mean that you didn't have a hard life. That doesn't mean that you may not have been poor. But if you were poor and white, you still have a better chance of getting at Harvard than a poor and black person. It's just simple facts. And there's data to back that up mm-hmm. affirmative action helped no one but white women straight up and it's and it's and that's just why it, it uh, let's just stick to the back of the test <laughs> but i yeah. would say to go to end that point is essentially that is what studios are more willing to take a risk on they're less yeah. willing to take a risk on filmmakers of color and they're less willing to take a risk on stories from people of color and that has been shown throughout these decades and even now which is a conversation that we've had on the last couple of podcasts we're still dealing with that i wanted to ask y'all about some of the films that were surprising that didn't pass the bechdel test (laughs) okay uh let me pull up our list there's i i'm never surprised when a movie does not pass the bechdel test i mean sometimes they're like (laughs) seem to be marketed specifically for women right and they're even some of those don't pass it i think the most famous example of that that we get we haven't covered it on the show but it comes up all the time is i think it's like a 19 late 1930s movie called the women that has (laughs) an all-female cast it's like 10 women you do not, like you famously and the way it was marketed is like it was like you don't see a man on screen the whole time and that is true you it does not pass the back because they're wow. only talking they talk to each other but it's always about men. it's always about a god and it's Who always about a man it? named man. steve <laughs> They're talking about Steve the whole movie. It's Do you know crazy. who wrote that movie? I don't. Let me. Okay. The women. Oh, 1939. Okay. Written by. Oh, it was written by. It was written by two women. Oh, really? so really, uh, really, a uh, <laughs> good job. No, no way to, no way around it. No. Well, the thing is, for Big me, I, I, I tend to not remember unless it's like it very handily passes or it is very clear that the movie would not pass because it only has one woman in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. See Raiders of the Lost Ark. See, you know, A New Hope. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I tend not to really remember if a movie passes the Bechdel test or not, just because it's a metric that is a useful metric for a starting off point to talk about representation of women in movies. But that's pretty much all we use it for is just like, okay, 
this initiates a larger conversation that we can talk about a whole slew of other things. So whether or not a movie passes, Jamie, as you said, like, um, like The Room, that famously horrible, horrible movie passes I, the Bechdel pass, test. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's still such a piece of shit. And, it, you know, it's fun to watch, but, you know, it doesn't mean anything that that movie passes. And then I think, like, we determine... I've got a chart here. Uh, our, our fans are very studious. I love it. <laughs> and they make... One they update I, their chart. I would say one that I found surprising was You've Got Mail, because it's a rom-com. Yeah, you I would think, think, like, if movies that are, like, made right. for women, in theory. Mm-hmm. And that was came out, like, what, two decades ago, so... Yeah. Yeah. Some, you think they talk about, you know, AOL... Well, I think she- <laughs> Well, no, I think she, I think it's probably in her book, in the scenes in the bookstore, you know, because she, she's talking about her mom and she's talking about, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's right. probably how it passed it. The whole uh, Lord yeah. of the Rings trilogy does not pass the Bechdel test. Not one of it. It's a 10 hour. <laughs> it doesn't pass. It's crazy. It has oh, every no. opportunity and it doesn't. Uh, and then another one we did recently that I thought, I guess, just sort of for the same reason uh, you were saying, Danny, about You've Got Mail, is 500 Days of Summer doesn't pass the Bechtel test. Um, Wait, were you saying that You've Got does. Mail does pass? It does pass. Yeah, it, oh, does, it does pass. pass. That's why I was saying I find that surprising because it's a rom-com. You think like, you know, because she oh, has a male partner that about... she was. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I mean, rom-coms often don't pass. I think we mm-hmm. did we did an episode about, we haven't done um, You've Got Mail yet, but we did yeah. do Sleep When Harry Met Sally and, and Sleepless in Seattle. And there are most of those, com- there might be like a very quick conversation that just happens to not be about men, but often in rom-coms, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's interesting because like there are certain genres that almost never pass, like action movies, like often do not pass because there's usually one woman and she's the love interest. She gets yeah. captured. She has to be saved. Like she doesn't Everyone's like, oh women. my God, she can kick? Amazing. <laughs> ah, I mean, even if she's thing. allowed to fight, usually well, women aren't yeah. even allowed to fight. No, yeah, usually they the just action fight. movie they're in. Or if you're in Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark, your only weapon can be like a domestic item, like a frying pan or in Halloween, it's like all domestic items that, that are weapons and- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Um, another one I like. Uh, this this is like a more specific version of the behind the camera stuff. Is the Reese Davies test by Kate Reese Davies? A movie passes if every department uh, has two or more women, uh, which is not which which is something that doesn't happen very much. Only about a third of movies pass mm-hmm. this test because there is such a disproportionate representation uh, uh, behind the camera as well, which is something that I want to be better on our show about, like paying attention to, of like, right. it's so rare to see female composers, female editors, mm-hmm. female cinematographers, cinematographers um, where it's usually where I, we're talking about directors, writers, and talent, but there's like, there's so many things that, like when a movie is edited by a woman, they're probably going to edit out the, the shot where, you know, probably the male cinematographer like, has a lingering male yeah, gaze whole... shot of a woman in a swimsuit. Exactly. <laughs> right. so, so, like, yeah. Um, there's another one that is, uh, I think, lesser known because it's it's newer, but it's called the Kent Test. It's from um, Clarkisha Kent. And it's there are many different components to it. So I'll just name kind of the main one. But it determines whether a film... Uh, or other piece of media has provided the audience with adequate representation of uh, women or femmes of color. And then it has all these different like criteria by which you can like, basically it's like, I think 12 different things. And if it scores higher than like a six or an eight or some number, then it's like, Oh, it's doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of movies don't fare very well on this test. I was going to say for iffy for your episode of black Panther, I'm assuming that that passed the Bechdel test, right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. And I love the fact that Ryan Coogler had Rachel Morrison, who's his DP and has worked with him on Fruitvale station and on black Panther. So that was, that was a huge thing that that was pretty cool that he had a woman behind the scenes um, as one of the head people of his crew. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and then I was pointing, I was pointing this out to you the other day that George Miller, who made uh, Mad Max, his wife edited it, and he there's this quote where his wife was like, "Why do you want me to edit this movie?" It was like, "Because if I have a man edit it, it's gonna look like every other action movie," <laughs> and that that's true. Like one of the benefits you get from having an underrepresented piece to your film is you're getting a different perspective. I mean, in a good 
writer's room. That's why you want different perspective. I was in probably one of the most diverse writing room a few weeks ago. And, you know, we had, you know, me, uh, you know, uh, the showrunner was Indian. You had, uh, we had like two women to two men who were writing. Uh, and, and it was just interesting to like, you know, have you just hear different things to the way people say like you know it's it's all it's very interesting to to have just the one line that i always like to hear in those situations is uh you know when someone would speak up and goes oh a woman wouldn't say that you know like because because oh yeah because right. i just even from my perspective whenever you see like a black person written by a white person you're like no black person in their life would ever say that Today we are covering Teen Titans. Oh and yeah, Ashley, you are an expert in these in these kiddos. They're my favorite super team. When Danny asked me if uh, this was a subject that I knew anything about or liked, I was super thrilled, and I was like, "How nerdy can I get?" Because <laughs> they're the best. They were the top selling DC title for twelve years. Dang, uh, what years were those? Uh, 80 to 92. It was okay. between them and then the Uncanny X-Men were the top two best-selling comics. That's the new Teen Titans, the Wolfman-Perez era that affected and inspired uh, the TV shows that I think we're going to be talking a lot about today. Yeah. But yeah, they're very important. And they're actually, in terms of profitability, DC's most profitable franchise. Really? So we like to think about the Justice League, but so the Justice League have comics... Uh, Teen Titans have comics as well. There's also Titans, Young Justice, all fall under that same banner. It's all the same creative teams and all the same characters. So they have more titles consistently that sell better than Justice League, although Justice League has more issues. Okay. So if you did, I can't do math, and I certainly can't do math for inflation. Justice League probably wins in the comics. However... Uh, we've only had one Justice League movie, and it's arguably a whiff. It's controversial at best. We've had one animated television show that's over a decade old. Teen Titans had the original animated television show, Teen Titans Go, which is DC, Warner Animation's most successful DC mm -hmm. property show. That also spun out an animated pause movie. You just right there, even <laughs> though I know you're on this that's good okay. <laughs> trend, because this is going to be my one, like rant and i'm gonna try and keep it at that but the, the the reason i stopped you at teen titans go is a lot of people grew up on the teen titans before that me included yeah, yeah. and loved it and i feel like teen titans go got so much hate online from people out of the age range like so mm -hmm. many people who grew up on the first teen titans was like not my teen titans not my teen titans and i get that you want something for you but just go ahead and repeat what you just said about teen titans go <laughs> Uh, what did I say? That it oh, was that their it spun out. It's their most successful animated show, and it spun out its own yeah. animated movie. So many people try and push this idea online that they keep pushing this bad Teen Titans Go. But if it's its most profitable, it seems like it's not as bad as we want to believe it is. I get you want the serious, mm -hmm. you know, dark Teen Titans uh, that we have, but that time's over. We had it and we enjoyed it. Now the kids that the demo that is watching that time slot is getting something they enjoyed. So lay off also what's funny is like as much as people hated that there were some people online who i saw was like yeah that's cool <laughs> that was probably me <laughs> i love it but i'm i'm not trying to be a troll i just like whenever people people are going to get upset whenever people take risks and do like a different take but i understand i understand why that doesn't always work to me i totally. just like when we're surprised i i like seeing the bizarro world yeah uh, i like the opposite like i don't always want the same thing i like seeing like what if this person did go off the deep end i'm yeah. always like yes go off the deep end but and honestly um, that's the true heart of comics because that's how you get things like red sun and mm -hmm. you get things like you know old man logan like do you, true that's the there th someone pointed this out to me a while ago when i really were, was reading capes and they're saying they stopped reading capes because they got too upset with canon and we stopped doing mm -hmm. like, these one-off fun things like all-star superman and all you think all-star superman is fun uh, i mean <laughs> it's fun in the sense all-star superman made me like superman because i was me too. Uh, me too. anti yep. superman yep. and then when i saw but that it made side me cry. yeah oh yeah it makes you six pod can't go down uh, wait how did you not like superman he was too perfect up? but you like goku <laughs> he's, he's dumb Goku's dumb. You know what I'm saying? His flaw is that he has this childishness about him and 
that he does put people in danger because he wants to challenge himself. Superman is just perfect. He's smart. He's handsome. He is the the top of his job. He gets the girl. Right, like he can't do anything wrong. He's not dumb. You know, like so he is too perfect. But I could see where you would think, oh, with Goku. But Goku does have so many flaws that I'm constantly debating against online. Yes, <laughs> also, that I, I know remind you of. We're not here to talk about Superman, but when you are, um, I'm originally from Canada, so when you're not American, yeah. Superman is sort of held up. It's Superman and Captain America are held up as like these bastions of American identity. For sure. mm-hmm. So for me growing up, I was like, you can't like Superman. <laughs> I'm not American. Which is funny because he's like an immigrant, but yeah. yes. He, absolutely. <laughs> um, but I, I hadn't thought about that as a, an eight for year sure. old or a six. Mm-hmm. I mean, I married a white guy from a farm in Kansas, so clearly I've come around <laughs> oh, with yeah, Superman. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember when I was in university, I went to the University of Ottawa, which is Canada's capital city. Um, I had a really good friend. Uh, he's actually on that YouTube show Wayne now. He's one of the twins. I haven't seen it. That's just the thing that people might know. He had a Superman belt buckle, and I was like, you're Canadian. You cannot wear that. And we would like, get in fights about that. But Superman is a difficult character for people to come around on, which is why I think Teen Titans, like I was saying, was so successful, because they are deeply flawed. Oh, yeah. Um, Robin is the best among them, and Dick Grayson, as the best Robin, is a deeply flawed leader, but he grows up to lead the Justice League, so... I know you have a moment that you talked about on the Daily Zeitgeist, Ooh, which is really it's, funny. It's so funny because like it was a moment I totally forgot about, but then remembered when I saw it. And it was a it was actually a pretty cool episode where like, you know, it kind of uh, tried to deal with racism because it was talking about racism in Starfire's uh, family. And he was like, oh, I to definitely know about that and he was like oh you you know about being judged because of the color of your skin or because of how you look and he was like yeah i'm a robot <laughs> and it's so that. great because because it, it it definitely gets so close and i could definitely be just see the network note of being like nah pull that back just say it's because he's a robot <laughs> Can I ask you um, what is potentially an, an ignorant white person question that you're under no real onus to answer, but I'd like to ask oh, yeah. you as, yeah, a, as an African-American person. How do you feel about booyah as a catchphrase? Oh, you know, I didn't care. It seemed like, yeah, yeah, it, it, because it seemed like one of those things was like he's saying something cool, yeah. but we don't want to make anything like you know seem like it's because he's black you know because <laughs> when he said it in justice league like i was really excited yeah. and then i saw a bunch of people who i respect and who i i look to for guidance because as not a person of color i don't know yeah. um got really mad about it and i was like oh i just thought it was like really cool that he said the catchphrase yeah i think uh, yeah i i think some uh, you know not a diss on them but some people are just like Ah, hypersensitive of what one way would be taken but I feel like the only way to have taken that was that it was a callback to something he always said in Teen mm-hmm. Titans yeah. just like in X-Men when he says I'm the juggernaut bitch yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> like it's like I don't uh, to like and take, 4chan cheer yeah. across the world <laughs> yeah yeah like to like you know take that in any other way I, I you know I, I think there's more to unpack you know it's just I don't no, I don't agree. I don't even agree that you could really take issue. I don't want to control how anybody feels about anything. But there, I feel like there's a level to now there's there's this social currency to find the things wrong yeah. uh, that are not woke. And it leads to people just jumping to stuff when they might have like, even if they didn't like it, be like, all right, that's kind of whack and move on. But now that you can get likes, retweets mm-hmm. and clicks, it, it, it kind of encourages more to kind of lean into something you might have just let go. Okay, yeah. so I'm allowed to like it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I care about. <laughs> so so it's Jason Todd not as Red uh, Red Hood. Well, he's not Red Hood right until after the Joker beats him to death with a crowbar, and mm. then he gets thrown on a Lazarus And so pit. this all takes place before that, then. I guess. <laughs> because my, cause my only gripe with Jason Todd would have been, if, like, if we got F Batman Robin, that kind of takes the wind out of Red Hood's sails. Right. Um. And, and I, like, I like a Dick Grayson who's, like, not as much of a golly G, but also 
Dick Grayson, in my opinion, because it's only just my opinion, I don't want to take anything away from anyone yeah. who likes it, um, would never say F Batman. Well, He's that's... the one Robin who would never, like, that's a Jason Todd move. Exactly. And that was my gripe with that. So mm-hmm. me and you are back, even though you want to get rid of Damien. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's because, more Damien for you. Because, because <laughs> I love, I love that's your thing. It's like, you don't like it more for me. I don't yeah, like yeah. it more for you. Uh, <laughs> but, like, Dick Grayson worships Batman. So when I heard mm-hmm. that line, I already noped out. And I was like, and once again, I'm the same way. I have no qualms with anyone who's like jamming on it. Yeah, I will yeah. never say not like the thing you like. I, you, that Those words will never come out of my mouth. And don't take it that way. If you're like liking it and it's like, hey, should I not like this? Because no. no, enjoy it. Enjoy good things. I think Pacific Rim is one of the most perfect movies ever made. Uh, it's the and best people, dumb movie ever. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's, sorry, it promised me a robot, I mean, a monster getting beat up by a giant robot with a <laughs> freighter ship as a bat. And what did I get when I went in? A giant robot beating a monster with a freighter ship. You barely get your promises kept in movies these days, and I was happy with it. I honestly didn't know that people didn't like Batman and Robin. I think I've said that before on this podcast. <laughs> yes. The Schumacher movie? Yeah, like is I that didn't, the nipples one? Yeah, and okay. I didn't because I saw it when I was little, and I'm like, yeah. oh, this is it. Literally, was like if you're watching as a kid, it's like a, a comic book come to life. Exactly. It's so colorful. Also, the closest like, to a dumb suit you never had on screen. Yeah, <laughs> dumb stunts. You have Uma Thurman as like Mae West, you know, but you have like Arnold. I was like, this is so. We have um, you know, Alicia Silverstone who was coming off of Clueless. Mm-hmm. Like I was, oh my gosh, it was my jam. I didn't realize that that was not a good movie. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a quick break, but I'm hoping you're enjoying the best of. Hopefully you're remembering the things you did last year while you were listening to these episodes. But let's take a quick break and then come back to it. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great tasting, all natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today and we're back y'all it's almost time for this episode to end which means it's almost time for next week which means it's almost time for a brand new nerdificent but now let's get back to the hits our woman of the hour yes the wonder woman the wonder the woman the myth the legend wondrous and a woman yeah she's um super dope uh, she is one of the first superheroes, just period, especially the ones that still exist at and, and right now. Um, she she and Captain America debuted in the same year, so uh, about ten months apart. So she was uh, in um, also interesting because their colors yes. are the same. Yeah, and, and their colors are same. Or pretty and, similar. I and mean, it, the American flag, essentially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because they kind of both did come from a place of challenging 
society at the moment because, you know, Captain America is very much, hey, punch a Nazi. (laughs) Which she does too. Yeah. So, and then she also punches Nazis because Mm -hmm. that's also a thing that you're supposed to do. But like, um, you know, Captain America was very much about, um, you know, kind of like an immigrant ideal, like rising up for your country kind of situation. And Wonder Woman is a feminist ideal. Which, when you say feminism, you don't think 1940s, but hey, that stuff existed then. Yeah. Can I say what I said? So you posted a picture of the DC archives, and my first thought was, like, these are sex toys. (laughs) Because it was a whip. It was like a... It was a giant diamond. That looked like something else. And there was like a... But it's so funny because relating back to Professor Marston, he was... Into, into that stuff. That. He was into S and M, and they and it was interesting that they had like th- this was actually brought up that people were accusing him of having bondage, spanking, homosexuality, like in his comics. Which again, this was in the forties, mm-hmm. so it's like to me, it's super dope that yeah. he like slid that in there. Absolutely, um, haha, slid that in. There. But anyway, it definitely. <laughs> Some of those D, the original DC archive like stuff. I'm like, yeah, I could, I, yeah. I see what they were doing. Well, here. and and also, I think that it seems like it's really like out of ordinary for that kind of salacious stuff to be in the books. But, but if you actually look at the comics from back then, like yeah. from the 30s, even they've got crazy stuff going on. There's a lot of like female vigilantes that mm-hmm. like merc dudes left and right, and like. Call them SOBs well, we and push them like, off. Of, we had know, war propa- We had war propaganda, but also these m- men were reading these during, like that were going to war. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. They were, like so, in the same way that early pornography, you know, like they had the some of those mags. Like, yeah, yeah, they yeah. pin up, and she looks like a, you know, to some extent. Although he definitely kept her, <laughs> she was definitely sexualized later. I yeah. think her early stages were were not as much. I, yeah, um, no, and and you can and those and also her that skirt in that first episode, that first issue is not actually a skirt; it's pants. The culottes right. you can actually clearly see yeah. them that they're yeah. shorts. Isn't that funny? Yeah, they're just flowy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Got to let it breathe. So, um, <laughs> we have. So, I know this is gonna. This is gonna be a three hour yeah, long podcast. There's so as much we stuff try that we talk to, about. Uh, So she, her official title is Princess Diana of Themyscira, mm-hmm. also known as Paradise Island. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I called it forever. Because my first comic was of her was her original run mm. from Marston, and they called it Paradise, Paradise Island. Island. Yeah, yeah. It was, and that's pa- also. Why and she's a daughter of Hippolyta. That is also why I'm a hardcore old school OG that she came from clay. Yes, because that was her original. That has been changed a couple I, of times. So the 90s are really weird because there's a lot of like really awesome stories that were happening during that period with a lot of off putting art for me. <laughs> so, oh, I know what you mean. Yes, yeah, so we're gonna talk about. <laughs> wow, yeah, we're gonna talk about Artemis real quick. Um, so in this modern contemporary age, um, especially in the nineties, this kicks off uh, the eighties in particular was a, a era of, I think a lot of people will call it more adult storytelling. This is where the dark Knight gets the, gets to be the dark Knight. You know, this is where a lot of comics that people are saying are the best comics ever made. They get made during this period. Um, and so they're experimenting more with this, stuff. this Jason Todd gets killed, uh, you know, like, uh, Superman, like they actually, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all lose their mantles all within a, like a two years of each other. Like the, this period of like five years, everybody gets their their titles usurped from them for various reasons, and Wonder Woman is no uh, uh, no exception to this. So uh, they find this lost tribe of Amazons um, called the Bonham McDowell, and they uh, are real hardcore. And they're like, and so when they come back to the island, they're like, okay, well. We weren't here during the contest of champions, so we should be able to do the contest of champions too. So they take their best warrior, Artemis, and she actually wins. So Diana is no longer technically Wonder Woman. This is where, if you've ever seen a picture of her wearing bicycle shorts, (laughs) (laughs) this is where that comes from. (laughs) All of her iterations are so, like her 80s, there was one in the 80s and she just looked like, um, she was like in Madonna's music video or something. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I think she had a leather jacket. Yes, that's, that's those, that's the same one. It's a leather jacket with the bicycle shorts and the bra top. Yes. Yeah. She looks like she's in a CNC music factory video specifically, but also Madonna. not going to lie because the new Wonder Woman that's dropping, um, I believe 2020, right? Mm -hmm. We're not going to get it in 2019 yet. No, are we? Okay. It's 2020, I think. Yeah. Her Wonder Woman 84. 
literally takes place in 84, as it says. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm kind of curious if they're going to put her in. I would love to see Diana in 80s wear. Yes. She has to be it's, to blend in. I've seen a couple of like photos from like, you know, the shoot or whatever. And I try not to look at them very much because I don't like being spoiled ahead of things too hard. Cause yeah. I can already guess what happens in movies without it. But I just was so curious about her clothes. There is some shoulder pads happening in one of the outfits. So yeah. I'm definitely, and I saw one picture of an, another person and in, in the most eighties track suit. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait to see it. So let's talk about the movie. Um, yes. If you, I can't remember, did you, did we see it together? I don't think we saw it together because I saw it in a plane. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Never mind. I, I don't you think saw you were it on in that the plane. theater. Uh, yeah. yeah. If you, what do you, what was your takeaway from seeing her brought to life on in film? Oh, I loved it, and it was, it, it, you know, it was so obvious what the solution was to, and I've talked about this many times anytime i talk about like what dc needs to do to blah 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 Mm -hmm. it's always this which is simply like get new voices in there get new directors in there and like i think patty just really just brought a whole new like perspective to the series and what she did was she made it a war story like it wasn't a Mm -hmm. story about you know is she going to like be like being a superhero or you know any other like superhero story it was a story about like this person dealing with war and how that how that treats them and them being an outsider so yeah, she was a fish out of water. Yeah. Um, that was very well done. One of the things, there were a couple of complaints uh, that people had that I want to address. Uh, one was this idea that she's not a feminist because she fell in love with Steve Trevor. That is literally not what feminism means. Yeah, no. Uh, and that to me is, it's it's such a, it just shows how outdated and singular that those people's view you know that yeah. she can you can be a feminist you can, you can be a fully fledged you know another thing was that she wasn't a they were like well she's clearly not queer then i'm like eh, but you know queer you can sleep with you can it means yeah. you can do both yeah, you know, there's there's, some, there's a reason it's called bi yeah. like you can do both yeah <laughs> and it just so happened that this particular one you know and she fell in love with Steve Trevor but i, I find it hard pressed to believe that someone that looks like that would not be exploring on an island where other women are also equally as hot. So, yeah. Well, you, there you we know. go. It just, uh, like, listen. Yeah. I mean, that's just... And, as and, a woman myself, listen. <laughs> and also, again, like, if we're talking about, like, I, I, I very much want to loop a lot of what she does into actual Greek mythology because I do think most of the, the better or the more impactful writers tap into it in the right way. And if you think about ancient Greece... They didn't care. Yeah, they were tapping everything. Are you pretty? Yeah, I'm gonna tap it. Yeah, I've That's... seen the I've seen the porcelain. Yeah, um, we, we, <laughs> I've we, seen the the plates and the urns yeah. and the with the very detailed tapestries. Mm-hmm. They have very detailed tapestries. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, they're having a lot of fun. They are, and uh, they they're it's it's part of their thing. That's what they did. But yeah, the Wonder Woman movie. I'm really looking forward to '84. Um, we somehow st- have Steve Trevor back. Yeah, there's. Would you like to hear my theories? Um. Sure. I guess we're just saying that this is everybody listening. This is a theory. Yeah. Obviously, Tamara isn't privy to the script, nope. has not seen it. It isn't even finished yeah. yet. So I, have, I have no insider this knowledge. This is just somebody that knows Wonder Woman that is thinking that this might be how he's there. Yeah. So I have two. Well, three. There's three things. Uh, two of them are kind of related. So number one. Remember when he was bathing in that pool, that healing pool, magical oh, blue water? Girl, I didn't even remember that. So what? What was that water? What did it do? What's going on with that? He could have survived this whole time. Wait, no, he blew up in an airplane. We don't know what he that blew, water that was. That was like to smithereens. Okay, so that's, that would be like in Terminator with like yeah. the dude, like all of the little metal pieces coming right. back together. Well, that leads to me my second theory, which is uh, we were told all the gods are gone. Are they? Somebody could have plucked him out of that plane right before it exploded and that he's been off somewhere else in mm-hmm. another dimension, in stasis, something, something for a very long time. That could be a thing. 
Right, because he still kind of looks the same, and it's the 80s. So, and it seems to me, I haven't read a lot of the stuff or whatever, the, 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 I think the, most, the least likely of the three theories is that he is somehow Steve's, like, great-grandson no, or whatever. No, no. But I think that's not, that doesn't make sense to me, because there's nothing that they set up that. He <laughs> just that. looks exactly <laughs> like him. He just looks exactly like him. No. Um, which they do in movies all the time, so whatever. No. But, like, so, so that third theory is, like, the, the least likely one where I'm like, eh, you could kind of throw that out there and be fine. But it's that blue glowing water with does it do and um we already know that uh, apocalypse has beef with the amazons and the gods of old so it's possible that it wasn't even a greek god it could have been one of the other gods that did it so like that like that could have plucked him out or that they're still hanging around because yeah. if dark side still exists then why doesn't the other ones have to be there somewhere yeah um and it could have been interesting if that was like a last pull of their power at that mm. time and then it takes 60 you know 100 years or whatever to the, for them to like be able to pull him back into this dimension because nobody's worshiping them except for like 300 Amazons. So they kind of have to recharge maybe. I don't know. Those are my, those are my thoughts. Ah, I want to know who came up with all of these. Did y'all just call, you called it real monsters? So well, is that I what it was called, called in the real, room? I just yeah, we would okay. yeah, yeah, cuz it's like or we just call it monsters or whatever like that. You know, okay. you always try you always show folk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I come from the theater originally, so in the theater you sort of just it's not Sweeney Todd, it's Sweeney or whatever. Like, right. I know. <laughs> but you know, I, it's I, not I, Oklahoma, it's Homa. Or I, it's but, uh, not that one. Or uh, the one that the one uh, theater uh, speak I always hear, because you have to say it this way, is Scottish play. Oh, that's a whole different thing. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. The, Scot- the Scottish the play. The Scottish play. When yeah. I asked you to be on it, though, I made sure I didn't want to be disrespectful. So I like made sure I like got all the A's and all of the exclamation points. <laughs> right. I think it's three A's, two H's. Uh, yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. You still got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With these amazing actors, I mean, the main the people who starred in the show were great. Uh, um, Charlie Adler, who's one of the great voiceover people of all time. Oh yeah. Um, and then uh, I'm sorry, I don't have her name in front. Oh, of me. Christine Cavanaugh. Christine Cavanaugh. She's the late Christine Cavanaugh. She was wonderful. A guy named David Eccles, who had, was a sound guy at Krasky Chupa, but he had a really interesting, funny voice. So he was became Crumb, the guy with the, uh, yeah. the eyeballs out. And but then the, the guest actors would come in. The, the casting director was a woman named Barbara Wright, who would just cast these amazing actors. So like people like you would never expect to show up, like Tim Curry, yeah, Tim Curry, yeah. uh, and people who now like have had big careers later. Like um, there's a guy named Xander Berkeley. Do you know Xander Berkeley? He's in the original term. He's in Terminator too. <laughs> he's the guy who. Uh, who was um, John Connor's like step stepfather who oh, gets yeah. killed with the <laughs> like the, the thing through the face? You yeah, know? Uh, that's Xander Berkeley. He's been in a million things. This guy named Toby Huss who's been in a million things, but like big. Margot Kidder, the late Margot Kidder. Like these people just come through just doing like one voice, you know, because wow. this, this woman was a great woman who like liked these people. Yeah. So I yeah. get to sit in and watch these amazing voice sessions and and the animators were great. It was just just a really fun experience. Yeah, so for people that don't know, that haven't heard of it, I don't know how, but uh, <laughs> the show focuses on three young monsters. It's Ickis, Oblina, and Crumb, who attend a school for monsters under a city dump and learn to frighten humans. Uh, many of the episodes revolve around them making it to the surface in order to perform scares as class assignments. The series premiered October 29th, 1994. At 11 a.m. on Nickelodeon. That's cute. That was a good slot. Uh, Running a total of 52 episodes over four seasons. The final episode aired December 6, 1997. Yes. Uh, So like you were saying, Charlie Adler voiced Ickis. Do you, I hate to ask, do you have a favorite or like one that... (laughs) I'm like, I hate to ask this, uh, gonna ask anyways. episode or or, or monster? Oh, Ickis for sure. I mean, he was so... He was because he was he was a little bit me too because he was like very nervous and anxious and always worried and you know uh, Crumb was the cool one who like no, nothing bothered him and uh, Oblina was super cool and stylish which I wasn't so uh, yeah definitely Ickes Ickes <laughs> yeah I liked writing for him too he was fun to write for but my first episode I'm trying to remember I I don't think I pitched the story it couldn't have been because I didn't know anything about it but it it it's the one that people seem to remember the most which was my first one which is where. Crumb got a pimple uh, yes. that, that came alive and started talking to him, and it was voiced by Jim Belushi. <laughs> but I remember writing that and having a good time, and that the pimple became more popular than him, and he sang a song, and um, yeah, it was just, That's I was like, so holy fun. cow, I can't believe, because I grew up as a kid just 
loving cartoons, mm-hmm. uh, specifically uh, Bugs Bunny cartoons. So uh, I would come home from school every day, and where I lived in New York, there was a ch- Channel 5 in New York, which is so Bugs Bunny from a half an hour from like 3 o'clock to 3.30. So I'd come home from school, turn on the TV, half an hour of Bugs Bunny. But I came, became so obsessed about it. Like that's if, if I was doing that show all those years ago when I was a kid, I'd say I was nerding out about Chuck Jones. Because yeah. I knew the names of all the... I could recognize the director's style. Oh, wow. I could tell a Chuck Jones from a Frizz Freeling, from a Bob Mackinson, from uh, a... Uh, Frank Tashlin, uh, you know, and and I so to so to have a chance to work in animation was just I hadn't planned on it, but it just really because of that guy David Litt said you want to try and write on this cartoon, and I just ended up just loving it. I couldn't believe here I was, this kid from Jersey, like you know, in Hollywood, like yeah, yeah working for a cartoon show. It just was a thrill. I do have to say, from I think I've told this story in here, but my mom used to be teased for her lips. She had big, full lips, and she they would call her Sandy Big Lips. Also, like kids were like couldn't think of a better. Yeah, yeah. I was like, right. like, <laughs> you, you old, you old Sandy <laughs> Big Lips. <laughs> <laughs> but th- that was one of the things because the women in my family have really full lips, and I remembered that about Oblina. Like it was just so well. Look, we'll take representation wherever we can get it, <laughs> yeah. and that was a thing that I loved about her having these big full lips it just like reminded me of the women in my family and I loved that so much oh, yeah. um and then when my mom grew up everybody was getting them injected to get their lips like hers oh. so there you go there you go and then Ickes was a good uh, representation for people who are growers not showers <laughs> wow um, uh, I mean wow. the joke was right there I couldn't leave it wow sitting it was right there yeah <laughs> David Eccles was the voice of Crumb? Yes. Is that, okay, yeah. I did not know that he voiced the monster under Chucky's bed in the Rugrats. Oh, really? So that comes full circle. He was a, a monster in that yeah. world and then a monster. He, he was, I'm pretty sure, a guy who just worked in the sound department at Klasky Chupo. Oh, and nice. then he had a really, he was a funny guy, had an interesting voice. And I think maybe he did that thing in Rugrats. And then when they came up with the monsters, they said, do you want to do this too? He's yeah. Like, All right. Yeah. Yeah. I love really that just nice have guy. a weird voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, they did actually have an official crossover. So in the sixth season of Rugrats, Ikas Oblina and Crumb crashed Tommy, Chucky, Phil, Lil, Dill, and Angelica's spooky slumber party. It was called Ghost Story. And uh, it's an iconic crossover. Yeah. You love them. So we were talking about, uh, at the break, we were talking about the fact that Nickelodeon is rebooting a bunch of these shows. Apparently, right? They're, I think they're doing new Rugrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing new Hey Arnold. They had a movie for Hey Arnold uh-huh. uh, that came out last year. And then they also had Rocco's movie come out. Rocco, that's right. So why not Monsters? I know. Yeah, I'm right here to say, yeah. Yeah. give me a call. <laughs> call me up. Get the gang back together again. Oh, there were The writers in that show were one. I, mean, I mentioned some of the other guys already, but Mark Steen was the guy who ran it most of the time that I was there. And there's a guy named Mark Palmer, uh, Spencer Green, Mary Elizabeth Williams. Just We were the main staff there. Uh, just great, great people to work with and really talented and funny people. Yeah. And also it was just like such weird. I love that it embrace the weird grossness you know especially because children love that but also i think that that might be why all of these iconic writers that came together to kind of start in this room i think that that's why it resonated with us even now decades later that it was just such a it was just doing something different that i feel like a lot of the other shows weren't let's take a quick break and then come back to it had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. And we're back. Let's get back to the hits. Today we are talking about the man, the mystery, James Bond. James Bond. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're going to do the nitty gritty that I always start with. This is the first time the nitty gritty is very chunky. Like usually, you know, the nitty gritty, we just take the kind of synopsis of the subject that kind of launches us into the discussion. But James Bond is, whew. It's a um, lot of gritty ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So feel free to jump in. <laughs> Commander James Bond, CMG, RNVR, is a fictional character <laughs> created by the British journalist and novelist Ian Fleming in 1953. So I guess I w- was not aware that he was first in novels before the films. Yeah. yeah. No, he was, um, he he wrote, like Ian Fleming wrote like two or three books that he wrote, um, I think Casino Royale and like On Her Majesty's Secret Service and Dr. No in some version of that order. And, uh, and they were kind of like, they didn't go anywhere. Like they just going to hit the marketplace and they just oh, kind of wow. died. And then, um, it, it became like, I think it was John F. Kennedy did an interview with Playboy magazine back in the day. And John F. Kennedy was like, my favorite books are James Bond books. And suddenly became, Oh, well, if President Screws a lot really likes these books, <laughs> then there must be something going on yeah. in there. And then suddenly, like, boom, they, they became bestsellers. All right, Mark, are you telling me that John F. Kennedy was the first influencer? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think he, I think he tagged up. Like, this, is, this is a paid post. <laughs> so have you read any of the original novels? Um, I've read like five or six of them. Um, they're shorter than the movies. Oh, okay. They are like crazy misogynist. Oh no. <laughs> I mean, like that's, that is, that is, they're very much a product of their time in that like James Bond loved Jamaica because Ian Fleming loved Jamaica. Like he would like, he would summer there or winter there or whenever he can go there. Yeah. And so like li- reading like Goldfinger, which is all set in Jamaica, you're like, oh, like it's kind of. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, like, sure, like, we'll go to the Bahamas and that's going to be different, but no. <laughs> you know, it's just like it becomes, he's got like a black buddy who's not really a buddy. He's more like a waiter slash chauffeur slash valet. And, yeah. And every woman is kind of disposable, you know, and it's, it is uh, bringing that to the modern era is a, a challenge, mm-hmm. I think, is the, and, and you see these James Bond movies as you go. You go, look, go back and look at the Sean Connerys and they still retain that vestige of, of old school feelings about masculinity and femininity. And then you get to Daniel Craig and it's like, listen, you're going to like have sex with a lady, but it's not going to be as unfortunate as it had been in the right. past. Yeah. It seems like as it moved forward in time, it went from the bond girls to the bond girl. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, there, there would still be the, like, does he have to like sleep with like three women? In yeah. his? And like, and there's always like the bond girl who dies early right. to motivate yeah. his, you know, adventure. Like, oh, I'm really motivated now that this totally. woman died. Now that I can't even remember who she was, yeah. but she's dead. And now revenge must happen. Yeah. And like the, the bond novels, especially, and then the movies sort of after the fashion, were aspirational, I think, to like a generation of men, um, for good and for ill. Like the good of it is, like James Bond really like dressed well and he lived well and he liked good food and like 
it's a weird like sommelier's guide to wine and stuff like those books are all like he's super refined and super effete and super like you know well you wouldn't have the 54 Rothschild before a steak my god what kind of barbarian are you it's like dude like you're a killer but but and that's that's sort of how it helped tie into Playboy because Playboy was also very much like right. here's here's the guy that you kind of want to be like here's how you should dress here's the parties you should go to here's the music you should listen to here's the books you should read um, here's the women you should want to consort with and James Bond fit right into there it was like he he was the the guy you wanted to be um, that changes over time you know and especially the as the more diverse a audience gets, the less they might want to just be that guy, you know, and, and oh, James yeah. Bond may or may not eventually change with those times because there is no good reason why James Bond, if it's going to be played by a bunch of different actors, yeah, couldn't also be played by a person of color. Yeah. <laughs> I have one quote that I wanted to say. Uh, it's exactly what you said about him being a blunt instrument. This is mm-hmm. from Ian Fleming in The New Yorker from 1962. He said, when I wrote the first one in 1953, I wanted Bond to be an extremely dull, uninteresting man to whom things happen. I wanted him to be a blunt instrument. When I was casting around for a name for my protagonist, I thought, by God, James Bond is the dullest name I've ever heard. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Funny because yeah. now when you hear Bond, James, James Bond, Terrell, it's yeah. like a man of mystery and he's sexy debonair. And it's just like, oh no, this like dull office worker. Yeah. Yeah. Like he I think that he he was in his Jamaica estate, which is also named Goldeneye, because of course it is. Um <laughs> and he had a wall full of books, and one of them was a book on birds, like bird watching and stuff, written mm-hmm. by a guy named James Bond. Oh, and he wow. was like, Oh God, if that's not the most boring person and the most boring wow. name for a boring dude that's ever been, here's my spy. Well, it transformed so much. It's so interesting that it was like, oh, just this man that things happen to happen to him, to him being uh, this force of nature, essentially. Yeah. Wrecking, he's a wrecking ball, in my opinion. Very much so. And and like those movies and even the stories, there's the version of those that are very reactionary, right? Because mm-hmm. like James Bond is kind of like this global cop who like, I'm going to go right or wrong, but the wrong has to happen before he gets called off his game. So it's very much like we said, it's like, here's your mission, James, go do the thing. And then he goes and does the thing. But it would take a while before the movies began to make him proactive, before they gave him missions and drives and revenge and all that stuff that actually makes for a hero that you want to be tuning into over and over again, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just a guy waiting for like a case file to fall on his desk. Yeah. Fump. Oh, I guess I got to go get that bad guy again. Here we go. (laughs) Jimmy Bond. Jimmy Bond. Blofeld, I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to get you. It's so funny because I have never seen a single James Bond film. Wow. But I have played many a GoldenEye, and GoldenEye is special in the sense that it had it normalized first-person shooters. It changed the game, literally. Uh, mm. And so, you know, it, it got people well aware of sh- of crappy hitboxes uh, with uh, Odd Job. If you chose Odd Job, you were a horrible human being. Uh, <laughs> and so, like, everything about GoldenEye is so fun, and they recently did a Source remaster for PC, so you can can grab that if you're on the PC master race. Uh but you know it it super it was fun and what kind of sucked was it was so good so nostalgic that a bond game never was able to survive a, around that. I think there was like was it a die it was either die another day or um what is the one that came out for PS2 or PS1? Nightfire. <laughs> Nightfire? That's what it's saying. James Bond 007 Nightfire for PS2. Okay, I think that's Mm. what it was then. It was was not great. I just remember that GoldenEye was the first party game I'd ever really played. Yeah, it was. You know, like it was it was a game where somebody had an N64, you go over and there'd always be like five or six people in that house, Mm -hmm. and four of them would be playing Goldeneye at any given time. And there was, and it was, it became a social event in a way that video games hadn't been oh, yeah. for me in, in, before. And there was always like, cause it, and the screen was divided into those four boxes, right? And so four people were playing at once yeah. on a giant screen. There was always one screen where some person could not figure out how to focus. So he's either like just looking at the ceiling or yes. looking at the floor. Yes. Like, Jimmy, just look straight ahead, man. Like, I can't do it. Oh, Come man. on. Yeah, that was, that was next level. And, you know, just talking about GoldenEye, it's crazy to think that N64 launched two of the biggest, like, multiplayer party games. Uh, not counting Mario Party, but you have Smash Bros. and you have GoldenEye. Oh, yeah. 
it's it's crazy to know that all that came from the N64. Totally. The actors that have played James Bond, to me, Pierce Brosnan was my James Bond because he was who I was first introduced to and who mm. I grew up with until Daniel Craig came into the picture. Who do you consider your James Bond? Ooh, good question. Um, the first Bond movie I ever saw was Never Say Never Again. Um, so Sean Connery is my Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've seen more Roger Moore James Bond movies than I've seen anybody else. And that was more contemporary for me. Like I was a kid of the eighties and he was, he was a late seventies into like 85, 86, I think. But it's kind of always going to be Sean Connery for me. And even like never say never again is when he's the old bond. He's when like to pay bond. Like it's just, and it's a remake of another bond movie because like MGM has the, like the lock on James Bond movies and they have for since the very beginning. Mm Mm-hmm. But there was some weird dispute with the screenwriter of Thunderball, and he claimed some rights to it. And so that's the one movie that if any other company wants to make, they can remake Thunderball. Oh. And so it was Thunderball and then Never Say Never Again, which is just a remake of Thunderball again. Um, And so I, I remember that that was a summer and I was a bad boy at school and it was just coming out on HBO. And like I had forged my report card. (laughs) <laughs> like I, and like the kind of forgery that in junior high school you're really really good at oh yeah so it was like oh no i'm gonna make these f's a's because mm-hmm. nobody will notice that and these d's are gonna be b's because yeah. that totally works and uh and i had told my parents like at length that i really wanted to see this movie movie and then when i they caught me in my master forgery they were like you can't do anything for a summer Ooh. so you know caribbean parents that's how that goes oh yeah so so from like june through september i was like locked in my room but then, like once once I got paroled, like my dad had videotaped "Never Say Never Again" for me. Oh, like wow. that was his present for me as, as I completed my my rounds in in the big house. And I remember watching that movie and loving it to death, even though it's not great. Yeah. Um. But it didn't matter. Yeah. Because like this was this was the price. Yeah, yeah. That was your freedom. Flick. <laughs> this was my freedom for like I'm free. Give us us free. <laughs> The new one, No Time to Die, is dropping April 8th, 2020. Um, It's directed by Kerry Fukunaga and that he co-wrote with Scott Z. Burns and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. What, what? Fleabag herself. Indeed. Which, like, that that in and of itself, between Kerry Fukunaga and and Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I'm more excited for this Bond movie than I've been for a while. Because, you know, you can... as I think you find with like sort of Black Panther is a different Marvel movie than every other Marvel movie because the perspective of the people who get to tell that movie, like Patty Jenkins's Wonder Woman is a different superhero movie than every other DC superhero movie because the lens through which you're telling that story is different. And so to look at this now 50 year old franchise and look at it through a lens through which we've never seen it before, because every other director of a Bond movie has been a white British dude. And so now you get a, sort of, you know, multiracial, you know, like American with a crazy eye and a crazy flair for this sort of thing. And then you get a script that's that's co-written by one of the smartest women on the planet. Yeah. Like what does what does a James Bond movie from those people look like? You know, what does it keep? What does it retain? And how does it innovate and how does it propel this story? forward in a, in a way that we've never seen before to an audience that might not have responded to bond before this, mm-hmm. you know, because it is, it's an archaic idea. You know, it is something of its, of its own cinematic dinosaur and to, to find a way to put a fresh coat of paint on it and to, and to roll it off the assembly line, looking like something brand new while still feeling like something old. I'm all here for that. Yeah. So we have Lashana Lynch. She will be playing 007. You will have recognized her from a bunch of things, but uh, most recently Captain Marvel. Cannot wait. Cannot wait. I mean, and it's like even even if you've been burned before (laughs) and, you know, Bond has burned before. It's clearly it retains its its capacity to be like, what was that all about? You know, there are enough pieces to it. You know, it's like it's like if you look at a a, a car manufacturer that's been making cars forever, like, you know, BMW or Mercedes or whatever. If you look at like a modern day Mercedes and then a Mercedes from 50 years ago, they look like cousins. You know, like there's Mm -hmm. enough elements to it there's enough kind of curves and the body lines all kind of work the same but you've now brought it into you've innovated and you've put all kinds of bells and whistles on it but it's still that car and if you can do that with james bond and like you know what like this was a rolls royce from like 1958 but like look at a rolls royce today like you can still kind of tell it's faster and it's leaner and it does things better but it's still 
it's still a Bond movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, give me that travelogue. Give me that hero who does the impossible when nobody else could pull it off. Like, give me these women who now have agency in a way that they've never had before. And give me, you know, gadgets I've never seen. Like, just push it. And that's it. Thank you for listening to The Best of Nerdificent Part 2. We missed you, and I can't wait to see y'all next week. All right, y'all. Stay nerdy. Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. There are choices that can change your life. Like the choice to start routine colorectal cancer screening at age 45. It's one of the most common cancers for women and men, and it doesn't always have symptoms. But there's good news. Routine screening can catch colorectal cancer early and even prevent it. And there's even better news. You have screening options. Make the choice to put your health first. Talk to your doctor about your screening options or visit cdc.gov slash screen for life for more information.